if you want to break that down and begin to build these connections, you want to do it in little tiny bites. So for the first time, reach out and just make a connection with somebody on LinkedIn. And then maybe the next week you might send a little note like, oh, I saw what project you're working on. Here was an interesting article. There are two parts of what makes this kind of seeding really effective. One of them is it actually matches more the way that we connect as humans. And the other thing is it does make what can feel something that's overwhelming into something that becomes very feasible. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Every so often, I like to look back over my career, and I like tracking back over the milestones and career changes I made. And when I look over all the promotions, opportunities, and wins, they all have one major thing in common. There was someone, or really, most of the time, it was more than just one person, but there was always someone in my network of friends who helped make it possible for me. Sometimes it was guiding me or coaching me. Sometimes it was making an introduction. Sometimes it was simply being a cheerleader for me. It was the relationships I had that helped me progress in my career. And all that still holds true today. Everything that I've been able to do with my business, all the opportunities I've had, all the clients I have, all the wins I've made, they're all possible due to the relationships that I've been able to build, nurture, and maintain. And I'm grateful for every single one. And I'm pretty sure that if you took the time, you'd be able to track and recognize all the people and all the relationships that have helped you grow in your career and business. But here's the thing. In order to be truly successful, in order to get the most, but really to give the most in your relationships, you need to be intentional about it. You need to follow some pretty specific steps and frameworks, and it helps to have somebody show you how to do just that. And that's why I was really excited to talk with Pamela Slim this week. Pamela is a best-selling author, business coach, and the co-founder of the Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, along with her husband, Daryl. She's the best-selling author of Escape from Cubicle Nation, Body of Work, and her latest, The Widest Net, which Porchlight named as the Sales and Marketing Book of the Year for 2021. In The Widest Net, Pamela teaches us how to build strong, diverse relationships, identify and connect with new partners, expand markets, generate leads, and find new customers in places we may have never even considered before. And she shows us how to connect with potential clients and customers using the true breadth of the marketplace, which she calls an ecosystem of living connections. So here it is. Here's my interview with Pamela Slim. Hi, Pam. Welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you and congrats on The Widest Net. This is your third book, right? It sure is. So I want to understand 
how does this one build off of your previous two books, Escape from Cubicle Nation and Body of Work? I didn't even really realize how much they built until I was probably three quarters of the way through writing the third one. <laughs> I always say I'm a author practitioner. And so I write about the kinds of things that I'm working with my clients on at any given time. What I noticed after I really looked at all three of the books is that the first, the main purpose of Escape from Cubicle Nation was to help people if they were in corporate and didn't want to be and they wanted to be on their own, to really help them to understand what's involved in the journey. And then if they wanted to take the leap, to give them a step-by-step process to get there. So they would be out of corporate and basically financially secure working for themselves. For most people, once they did that, then they're taking a deep breath, they're working on their own, and then they start to look at the bigger picture of really what actually is work that I'm excited about doing, who am I, and what's my body of work, which is really where that second one came out. I called it the love letter to creation, and it's really about understanding how you can analyze what is that kind of content, products, programs, books, impact that you want to make in the world, and then how can you make choices about how to design your business or your career around that. So a lot of that is really the what that somebody might do in their business. As soon as people figure that out, the next question always was, well, where are my people? Where's my audience? I know what I want to do. I have a program. I have a book. I have a, a business selling something. How do I actually find out where people are? Amazing books that we have out there about building businesses. There wasn't really a very specific approach to how you could build an audience. And from my particular value set and ethics, in a way that was not totally transactional. And so that's really where the heart of this book comes from is looking at building an audience through an ecosystem lens, through a collaborative partnership lens, and not just about building your own personal empire. Well, talk to me about that, because when I hear from the experts and the thought leaders around going out on your own, becoming an entrepreneur, building your business, that's one of the things they talk about is being an empire or being an empire builder. So talk to me about the different point of view that you have around that? Sure. I really like the way you frame it. It is a point of view. So I have a really clear point of view that is based on values that I have, the way I see the world, the metaphors I use to see the world in, in which from my vantage point, empires were really fantastic for the few people who were at the top of the empire. (laughs) Probably a lot less fantastic historically (laughs) for everybody else who were helping to build that empire. There's a lot of language around crushing domination and, and really centering yourself in the context of kinds of clients that I work with, with thought leaders, people with really big world changing ideas. The whole idea when you're looking at it from an empire is you're just centering yourself and your brand as, you know, that's the main thing you want to show you are the all knowing expert You want to really be crushing competition. And there's just a lot of words and metaphors that for some people really, really resonate. So that's an example of people have a different worldview, a different way they live their life. For me, everything about what I have always done has always been centered in community. Hmm. And everything that I've done as a business coach, when I work with my clients, is usually about helping them to understand the amazing additional experts 
that surround the work we're doing, because I don't know about you, but I've never been able to be the sole provider of resources or information for my clients. They need web developers and IP attorneys and copywriters and all kinds of other folks. So for me, it is actually more accurate that rarely does one person build a business alone. Rarely, no matter how much expertise that you have, are you the sole provider of information to people. And I rather really like to look at building a much more vibrant ecosystem that in very practical ways, which we can dive into, you know, I do a lot of local work here. So there's a very practical way of seeing what happens if we're working together, in our case, downtown Mesa and Main Street, to make sure that all the businesses are doing well. Like this has a really exponential impact on everybody's well-being. And really the same thing is true in the ecosystem that I work in a lot, just in the online world and the bigger picture. Well, and it sounds like, especially when you look at it from that really hyper-localized level, I've got to think that if you're that community-minded, if you're that community-focused, you may recognize that there are some members that may not have tapped into the community or may be part of the community that aren't catching on to what they need and say, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Hey, this business over here, I think you need to pay attention to this. So come on into the fold and let us help you see what's going on. It's true. It was so powerful that during the pandemic, which as we know for everybody was such a difficult time, I'm so proud of all the different partners that we had here downtown Mesa because we actually didn't have anybody in our main area for downtown. We have like three main blocks um, on Main Street, but we didn't have anybody go out of business. And I think a big reason for that is because of the very specific united front that a lot of the different ecosystem players played together. We're like literally knocking on folks' doors, walking through the applications for additional city funding. It's funny, sometimes we can just assume that everybody is used to filling out complicated forms. (laughs) And for a lot of brick and mortar owners, that even though there would be $25,000 grants, you know, ability to get PPP loans and all that good stuff, for some people, depending on where they were in their business organization, that could feel like too big of a hurdle. And especially when they were panicked about having their business shut down and not having enough business. So I love the fact that it's this metaphor when you imagine if we are working together in the case of a downtown, that when everybody is sticking together and open, those businesses, and there's always a couple restaurants that, that do really, really well. Maybe they're a little bit more well-known. When people come down to visit them, they're also going to be walking by other businesses. And I just see the very same thing. It's not as right in front of your face as I see when I walk out our front door here on Main Street, but the same kind of things happen. I, I see for some clients that begin to connect with other ecosystem peers and partners they are doing extremely well, no matter what's going on in the economy at all. And I think that speaks to mindset a lot of the time. We hear some people talk about having an abundance mindset versus having a scarcity mindset. And if you have a scarcity mindset, you might think, okay, in downtown Mesa or the customers that come to downtown Mesa is one pie and it's just a fixed pie. And if I give up part of my piece of pie, then that means that somebody else has a larger piece of pie. When I don't think enough business owners realize that when you work together in partnership and in community, you can actually build a bigger pie. It's really true. There becomes this added benefit that with discernment, there's a lot of 
strategy and analysis and good work that you can do when you are looking to create really effective collaborative environment. And so some of it goes back to the earlier question you had that where, for example, you might have businesses that are in the physical ecosystem. So maybe they're in a downtown structure, but personally, the business owners from their own value set don't really find value or don't really want to be engaging with other people, right? That's fine. That can be a specific way that they run their business, that they manage their business. So part of what you want to do is you want to look at who are other people who might share values around collaboration. In some cases, you want to make sure that, let's say I have a a particular product that I'm selling, and if somebody else is selling the exact same one, that we probably want to look at each other and say, okay, where can we be best positioned? We want to help each other out, but we don't want to be foolish by putting a whole bunch of marketing energy into just driving business to somebody else. But, you know, even through that conversation, when you are collaborative, you can have those healthy conversations and not worry about, ooh, I'm in this meeting, whether it be a Zoom meeting or something else, and I better keep everything secret about what I'm doing because maybe somebody else is going to see it. And it takes a leap of faith sometimes. It takes pain and suffering, (laughs) which is sometimes you get burned and that's part of life. It kind of goes to any other kind of relationship we have, right? Thank goodness I haven't had to date in a long time. I'm happily married, but anybody who's on the dating scene can can tell you, you know, if you want to be out there and try to look for a positive, fulfilling relationship, there's probably going to be a little bit of pain and suffering along the way. That's part of being human. That is, that, that is. But what I've found as it comes to relationships, whether it's dating, but also especially marriage, the more that you can give to others, the more benefits you'll end up having come back to you. Now, sometimes yeah. you may get hurt. Sometimes somebody may take from you, but the more that you can give, the more you'll get back. And I'm only saying that so that I can hear this later on in the recording so I can remind myself of that lesson. <laughs> That's right. I know people that might shake their fists like, Pam, you told me to partner with others. And, you know, I had a hard time. It's, it really is part of the process of figuring out exactly what are those kinds of strategic partnerships and relationships you can build in your business. I call the uh, PB&J partner is one way I that I talk about it. Complimentary peanut butter and jelly compliments. So, In the case, I'll give a shout out to my IP attorney, Sharon Turek. She has a firm called Legal and Creative, and she works with a lot of digital marketing agencies around their total IP. And we have such a peanut butter and jelly relationship because one of the things I do in my consulting is help people build licensing and certification programs. What does every single person who does that need? They need an IP attorney. So there is no competition in that way. It's a very highly complementary kind of relationship. The same might be true where Sharon's meeting with a client. Maybe she says, oh, this person is actually not quite there yet in terms of how they understand their IP or their body of work. Let me shoot them over to Pam and she can maybe do some strategy with them before I'm executing my legal agreement. So in finding some of these highly complementary partnerships, And then like Sharon and I have done and many other people in my life, it's only through time and test and working with clients that you can find out, is this person trustworthy? Are they going to be treating my clients in the way that I would like to treat them? And also understand, none of us are perfect. Stuff happens sometimes, right? We get busy or whatever. But overall, you really want to make sure that you're building a solid network. Because if you just think about it from a moment, there's a kind of exciting 
like data visualization piece of this work, where one of the concepts in the book is that this idea of ecosystem we're talking about is where you have your ideal client in the center of an ecosystem. So let's say for me, I work with folks who are building and scaling their businesses. They're kind of as full as they can be with just delivering things themselves, and they're looking for ways to really scale. So they are looking already in their ecosystem to all of these different places in person and online where there are information, resources, and support to help them do that. So that can be things like other business coaches and thought leaders. They're listening to podcasts. They might use software, CRM software, HubSpot, or something like that in order to grow their business. So there are these watering holes within this ecosystem, places in person and online where you, as the business owner, by connecting to that one place. So here I am, lucky to be a guest on your podcast. Probably there are a whole bunch of folks that have never heard of me before this episode. It's highly likely. (laughs) And so I get the chance by having this one conversation with you in this watering hole of a podcast to be meeting other people who probably share similar values, knowing that you and I seem to share some values together. So you start to look at the math of it. I have no idea how many subscribers you have, right? No need to divulge right now. But you begin to look at this where I could have a set number of activities. Maybe I do a webinar with a bigger brand and we have a few thousand people show up. I do a few podcasts and we have a few thousand. Pretty soon, through maybe five or ten touches, I'm actually reaching hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And that to me is the strategy part of how you decide where you spend your time and energy. And then the human side of it is, how do you discern who are really trustworthy partners and who are not? And it's that human side that goes back to your PB&J strategy, which I love so much. I love a good PB&J. But when I think about it, it's not just any type of peanut butter. It's not just any type of jelly. I've got certain preferences and I've got certain preferences on which go better together. And to me, I think of that in terms of branding as well. So if you are collaborating with somebody or if you have a relationship or a complementary relationship with another business and you are referring people to that other person, that other person it then becomes an extension of your brand. So you were talking about this earlier. That's why it's so important to be able to vet that person and to make sure that they're continuously offering the experience that you expect them to offer to the people that you're sending to them. It's so true because that really is what it's like in the eyes of your client. And it is one of the parts that becomes a little bit more challenging because you can't control every single part in every way that somebody might run their business, a lot of this comes down to agreements you can have. And there's a difference between just having a client say, do you know anybody who works in this space, somebody who's really good at branding, and you can give them a name? That's one casual referral where generally the person wouldn't totally judge like your entire brand just based on that one recommendation. But where you do have ongoing relationships, these are some of the parts that either create a really coherent, much better brand experience where your clients are like, gosh, not only did I get to work with Matt, but I got to also work with so many other amazing people that he referred. And no matter who he referred, the person was amazing, you know, and I appreciate that. But the downside of that is 
that things happen, right? In the way we run businesses and you can't always guarantee that consistency of the experience. So that becomes, again, more of a nuance when you look at the world that way where you're clear, even at the point of referral, where what I say sometimes to folks when they ask me for a referral is, so this is somebody I've worked with, a number of my clients have worked with and had a really positive experience, but I know that everybody has a little different criteria and taste in who they get along with. So if it's not a fit, no worries. Just let me know and I can think about some other referrals. And this way, it does give you a little bit of wiggle room so that you're not throwing your whole body down (laughs) in support of somebody. I don't know if you've learned this, but there are certain people who I just adore working with or clients have had a great experience and somebody else who I also like does not have the same experience and it's the same person. So sometimes it's just, who knows? Well, then going back to what you said earlier about if it doesn't work out, let me know and then I will figure somebody else out for you. But also that's a way for you to get feedback around the experience that this person received. And if it happens multiple times, you may start to see a trend with this other professional or agency or vendor and you start to realize, hey, I'm now seeing a trend in the experience that they're delivering that doesn't match with what I want to be referring to people. So now I may decide to no longer refer them. That's right. Yeah. And that's why you always want to be connecting, checking in and kind of renegotiating an agreement. It sounds a bit formal, but it's just often in really good, healthy partner communication. I like to approach it where, you know, sometimes you might notice that there's a little shift in how somebody is treating clients and maybe it's because they're going through a growth stage. And so you could say, would you prefer that I don't refer people right now if you're busy or behind? Or could I help you think about maybe a way to extend your staff so that you can reach the amount of people? And that's a way I think to still be in relation with people in a good collaborative experience. And a lot of what I try to do, and it's, it's not always possible, but as much as possible, just keep that good feeling of connection no matter what happens in the partnership. So even in the case where somebody might do something that they're embarrassed about and they just don't follow through and something falls through the cracks, still to really honor the dignity in that person, the relationship that you've had, and just being supportive for them to be moving forward in a good way of learning. Now, you can set a very clear boundary that you wouldn't refer somebody again, but it doesn't mean that you have to be completely like throwing somebody out of the kingdom, right? Right in the moat, you know, outside the castle. And that, again, goes a little bit more sometimes to empire culture of, or I used in Escape from Cubicle Nation, I used to call it mafia culture inside companies yeah. of like, you're we're family, we're one, we're all employees and we're great until you leave. And then all of a sudden you become the enemy. And my point is that is just not a wise business strategy, especially in today's, you know, huge worker flight situation, the great resignation where you rely upon people to be referring others to work in your company. Oh, right. Yeah. And if somebody moves on or something happens, it can't be you're dead to me. You know, they're still around. Right. I mean, inside you might say like, okay, I know I'm not going to do that work again, but just in the spirit, to me, it just goes to a core value that we're human, we mess up, we learn, you know, we move forward. And I always want the ability to recover and repair if I've made a mistake. And the same is true for somebody else. Just because I may not really want to be working directly with them doesn't mean that they're a terrible person and I have to heap on a huge pile of shame on top of probably how they're already feeling. 
Right. Yeah. None of us are perfect. So if I realize that I'm not perfect, I'm going to make mistakes. I hope and I pray that people will give me grace when I make mistakes. So that can only mean that when others make mistakes around me, I need to provide that same level of grace as well. That's right. And it does go a lot to team culture. I just had a team retreat here this uh, few days ago, which was so much fun. And we had such a good, profound discussion about trust and about what we all need in order to feel a sense of belonging and connection, what it means to provide trust for our clients. You can have a really good way that you operate where you are focused on excellent performance and great customer service, but at the same time, not creating a culture of shame. So I'm a big Brene Brown fan in that way. Oh, yeah. really looking at some of the ways in which we can operate together. And it's just probably all my years in training and development in HR back in the day when I used to have a real job <laughs> where <laughs> the mantra is always focus on the behavior, not the person. We don't need to throw anybody out in the street. You know, you have to address specific behavior. That's it. That's it. And if you can focus on the behavior, then that person doesn't feel shamed. Then that person may eventually be able to kind of come back into the community even stronger and help make the community even stronger. That's right. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. So these are examples of principles that you can have in play when you do begin to expand a little bit more your idea about who are the different partners that you work with, who might be other ecosystem players, people that you can refer. And I think that's part of what can help mitigate risk. The other thing I always recommend is before really jumping in on any kind of a long-term project, start with a little one. Start a little one, maybe do a little bit bigger project get to know how it is that you work with somebody. And if everything looks good, then you can move forward. You know, try to always have a some kind of an agreement if you're doing a formal partnership. But I don't know if you know those old like 1940s movies of 
people meet each other and all of a sudden they're singing and dancing on the street. I call it, let's put on a show that often happens at conferences where, you know, you and I sit next to each other and we're like, oh my God, you're amazing. You're amazing. We should be best friends. Yes. And like, let's write a book together. And so the next week we're writing a book before actually realizing that we need to get to know each other more. We need to have, you know, agreements in writing. So that's where you want to slow down a little bit and make sure that there's water in the pool before you jump. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I've seen and I've, and I've heard about your idea around planting a garden of seeds mm-hmm. about how it relates to building your community. Does that concept tie here? Yeah. So in the method, the widest net, the book, it is an, a method that actually is sequential. So and it's really the book is like in thirds. So the, the first third is really about setting a core foundation, about your mission, about your values, understanding very specifically who your audience is, using a method from my friend Susan Beyer, who's an amazing audience expert. And when you have that foundation and you really know, okay, like here's what mission I'm on, here are some of the other ecosystem players and who my clients are, then in the middle third, you really have seeding strategies to begin to do what I call tiny marketing actions, just little ways on a consistent basis. Once you have the strategic picture and you know who you want to connect with, that you do it in small ways every day. So I'm really influenced by research of people like BJ Fogg, who wrote Tiny Habits, or uh, James Clear, who read Atomic Habits. As a coach, it resonates so much that if we want to make changes, and many people avoid marketing the same way that they avoid taking a walk around the block or <laughs> drinking an extra <laughs> glass of water a day, which is, right. they think about it a lot, but they rarely do it. If you want to break that down and begin to build these connections, you want to do it in little tiny bites. So, you know, you might for the first time reach out and just make a connection with somebody on LinkedIn. And then maybe the next week you might send a little note like, oh, I saw what project you're working on. Here was an interesting article. This way, there are two parts of what makes this kind of seeding really effective. One of them is it actually matches more the way that we connect as humans. And I see this a lot on LinkedIn where the very first time somebody reaches out, they basically try to do four things at the same time. Hi, would you like to connect? this is my service. Can I pitch it to you right now? And would you please set up a meeting with me right now? And then to follow up five minutes later with a message like, did you get my message? I sent it to you yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I tend to run screaming from that kind of thing. I, I often tend to disconnect immediately if somebody doesn't just take the time to relax and <laughs> oh make, make a connection first Maybe we have a little bit of going back and forth, right? Banter on each other's LinkedIn posts, paying attention, tuning in. That's the way that we actually do connect as humans. So that's beneficial to model that in the tiny actions. And the other thing is it does make what can feel something that's overwhelming into something that becomes very feasible. This is right in the heart of work that I've done as a business coach. And I was super proud to be sharing some of the case studies of clients that I've worked with in the book who, to me, just made miraculous kinds of recovery, you know, in some cases where like their business was really down and they had to turn it around. A lot of it came from doing these tiny marketing actions, just planting seeds each and every day. Well, can you talk to me about some of those examples? 
Sure. So one of the main characters, my 14-year-old always talks about main character. So I, I, that's the vernacular I'm using for the book. One go. of the main characters is my longtime client, Carly Cunningham, who runs Big Bold Brand, which is a branding firm in Vancouver, Canada. She really is the original inspiration for Tiny Marketing Actions because we had known each other socially before through some business circles. But actually, it was her wife first who reached out to me to say, you know, things are a little bit tight. She's excellent at what she does. She had a bunch of projects going. And then just like happens sometimes in a phase of business, it just started to dry up that her clients were happy, but they didn't have immediate projects because she had done the work. And so it was one of those situations where I knew that we needed to start to turn things around, but like one feels when you're right in the midst of that dip, you don't necessarily have all the energy to be jumping all over the internet, right? Making cheery videos or something like that. So we started to work a little bit at a time at creating a strategic picture of what were those kinds of connections and activities that would make the most sense for her to do. She had done lots of them before. She was just at a rotation, which is what happens to so many people. We're, we're all or nothing, right? We do a bunch of seating. We get super busy. We don't do any. Those projects finish up and all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I need to do more seating. And usually there's a, a lag you know, in that time that it takes to get stuff going. So we worked real deliberately. She's amazing. She just applied herself and tracked every day what she did. She gave herself gold stars when she did it. And she had a massive turnaround, totally recovered her business, increased it. She ended up getting a $100,000 grant from the Canadian government to totally codify her method, which was an amazing project that was so neat to work with her on. And then now she's working on licensing and certification of her specific method with a lot of different institutions in Canada and looking to the U.S. So she's an example of just remembering what it's like in that moment when you're having that very human, like, oh my gosh, is this it? Like, can I make it through this time? to really seeing what she accomplished was incredible. Another favorite story I have in there is another client based in Canada, uh, Heather Krause, who is a data scientist. And she had a project, she was passionate about reducing bias in the field of data science. So she created a whole methodology and a project called We All Count. And I saw her launch it from the very beginning where it was just a twinkle in her eye to the whole site that she created. One of the favorite things about her story is she's a very self-proclaimed introvert and was not excited whatsoever about building community or reaching out to people. She told me, in fact, when I interviewed her, that she's like, if you want to know how much I don't want to build community, when I go to a Starbucks and they begin to know my name, I will drive 10 kilometers to the other one just so oh that I don't goodness. have to interact. Like we, She's wow. hilarious. We were laughing so hard. But that was an example to me because I did lots of work with Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet. I have huge respect for the power of introverts. And I know not everybody has is wired the way that I am to really be an extrovert. So Heather was extremely strategic and structured in the way that she did her seating. And to see where she is now is really astounding. She's working just with the largest institutions, organizations. She's trained thousands of people in her method. And she has a community which she likes. She likes the fact that they're there. She just wasn't excited about building it. (laughs) So it's there's just a lot of stories like that that I'm super proud of having gotten to work with those clients. Well, and it sounds like that 
one of the commonalities with those success stories is the fact that they weren't going all in on just one big goal. It was more of a disciplined approach. Every single day, I will take this action. Every single day, I will plant, you know, and plant these little seeds. And then eventually, the growth comes out of that over time. That's right. I think the way that is more healthy, especially for people who are going through a stage of growth where they're really wanting to build something that is stable and predictable and really to be instituting the habits of marketing. I often equate the difference between the way that we track our finances, because if we don't, if you and I are just like, you know what, IRS, I'm too busy. I just don't really think that I'm going to be paying my estimated quarterlies and I don't really feel like filing my taxes. (laughs) Like really bad things happen. So there's an institution that is making sure we do our financial tiny habits. Our credit scores are impacted if we don't feel like paying bills for a couple of months. And that impacts our ability to purchase things like houses and cars and so forth. And so there is nothing equivalent on the marketing side. And the worst thing about it and I'm not saying that I want the <laughs> the internal marketing agency to be <laughs> to be chasing after us if we don't do our marketing. I'm not saying that, but we don't often have any idea about how much risk that we're in by not instituting regular marketing activities. We don't know the risk until we're actually in it. Right. And that that's something that's kind of scary. You know, it's almost like the insurance market where <laughs> You you don't want to be totally frightened, but it's a lot of the business case behind business insurance. You never really know how you're going to use it. Maybe you've had a referral business and everything has been totally fine and it will continue. But what if it doesn't? What if there's like a global pandemic where all of a sudden you have to totally shift your business model and you have no marketing infrastructure in place? Like those are the kinds of things that I really would love people to pay attention to. And I'm very much a toward pleasure kind of motivator. I'm not about having fear tactics, but I think in general, we need to take our marketing operations a lot more seriously than we take them. And I'll include myself. I'm not exempt from that. We all get busy delivering client work. Oh, I'm the same. I I am the same way. And I will look at my marketing efforts sometimes like, okay, well, I've got to make sure I do something today. I've Well, I didn't do it yesterday. Now I've got to do it, do it today. And then I may look back on the whole week and, you know, behind the scenes, I was busy and behind the scenes, I was doing some good client work. But if you look out in the open, no one's hearing about Matt Lyles and his work. So that's just more effort that I'll have to take later on just to kind of build that awareness back up. That's right. And it does link with one of the other principles that goes in the final third of the book. So where you have your foundation, you know, what your goals are, where you want to be, you have your seating activities. And then the last third is really about how you operationalize that. And there's a choice of what I call a beacon in the book, which is, and you tell me if this is right, for you, it could be your podcast. This is something that you own as a primary marketing vehicle as a way for you to be showcasing your thought leadership a lot by choice of guests, ways that you're bringing insight, expertise to your audience through a particular communication vehicle like a podcast. And this is an example of what can be a really efficient and effective way of making sure that you have marketing going on. Because one of the nice things about podcasts 
are that just by having one and inviting guests, oh, you're building your ecosystem by it, it, it exemplifies very clearly the way that you're out there searching for expert people with interesting perspectives that are shared with the expertise that you bring to your clients. So in many ways, you're creating this ecosystem model by sharing different guests with your audience, and then you get to make personal relationships. First time you and I saw each other on camera before we did this podcast interview, now we actually have the first step in a connection. Maybe down the road, we can see it, attend a conference together. We'll decide to write a book. Okay, maybe, maybe not. There you right? go. We'll take our time. <laughs> but, we you know. just become best friends. <laughs> exactly. That's how it happened. I know for right. the early years of Escape from Cubicle Nation, back in the day, and I'm dating myself because I started my blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation, in 2005, right in the heart of Web 2.0. That really was a beacon. That was everything. That's how I got my first book deal. Back in the day when there wasn't so many more creators a blog was a really great way in order to showcase thought leadership. But I also had a podcast and that was something that was very helpful in doing a marketing activity. So I always want to emphasize, <laughs> I know it's a lot. It can feel overwhelming if you feel like you always have to be marketing. One of the main ideas that I have from the book is you look at the big picture of everything you could be doing, and then you really want to create a strategic plan that is something that is feasible for you, that you can execute consistently, and if possible, to do things that would be really leverageable. So I call it the, you know, the stacking principle. So for example, right. if you do this podcast episode, you can break up a little snippet of this conversation throw it in a beautiful Canva background, and you could put it on your Instagram channel, right? As a way to promote the podcast, you can cross-post on LinkedIn with this same content. You could create an ebook from some of the interviews. There's ways you can leverage one activity in a way that's going to give you more mileage. And so that to me is about the strategy in your operations, which is a hugely important part of making everything work. And that's it. That's absolutely it. And when I was reading about the beacon, I realized and had some thought around this before, but I realized, yes, you know, my podcast is my beacon in my business. And it is the way that I operationalize, you know, some of my marketing, but it's also the way that I operationalize some of the services that I provide to my clients as well, because I will take a lot of the lessons that I learn from others and I'll put that into lessons that indirectly go back to clients, whether it's in communications and writing about, you know, in this book, Pam Slim writes about these lessons. Here they are, yeah. one, two, three. Beyond that, it's also been the beacon for my community as well. So on one side, I get to receive 45 minutes to an hour of free business coaching. And then yep. I, get to, I get to share that out to other people. But then I, I'm also creating relationships with others. And I've gotten to be really good friends with a lot of the guests that I've brought on here. And then help connect them to other people or help amplify whatever it is they're doing. And then it just helps build community further. So my podcast is my beacon. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm actually, I will be launching the Whitest Net podcast coming up because it's been a good break. Oh, when I wrote Body of Work, right. I, I knew that when I moved a little bit away from just doing Escape from Cubicle Nation, which was very early, early stage entrepreneurship, it was such a fun thing to do. I loved it. I love my clients. But 
I've been in business 25 years, right? So you go through different phases where it's like, okay, I've talked enough about you need an LLC. And, you know, yes, how do you set up a basic WordPress website? It was like, let me move maybe to a different stage of business. So as that grew, I really wanted to, with a new iteration, have it be something that I could look forward to talk about for the next five to 10 years. And that's really what I see now is, oh, I could talk about collaboration, partnership, community building, everything related to that for many, many years to come. So I'm excited about it for the same reasons you talked about. I've had a newsletter for a long time, since 2004. I always will write it. It's like part of what keeps that connection with my community. But if you look at somebody like James Clear, who clearly has chosen a newsletter as his beacon. He has over a million subscribers. He has a real specific way. That's the main thing that anybody who wants to follow his work is always going to be looking to that newsletter. He has it really dialed in. I know for me, I'm not going to have the same kind of discipline, you know, around writing the newsletter. And so it's, in general, I advise that you have one primary beacon just so that you can really lean in like sounds like you've done with yours and look at the multiple ways in which that can be effective for your audience. Plus, I just love it as a listener. I mean, I love to listen to podcasts to and from the office. I find it so enjoyable. And every single day when I'm listening to a podcast, like you were saying, when you're interviewing your guests, I get a new amazing insight and idea, and I'm constantly bringing those to my clients. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, talk about the pandemic. When it started, we were all shut down and there was so little interaction. And I'm an extrovert myself. I'm a high E. So I was trying to figure out, okay, what are ways that I can better connect with people and actually have more meetings and in-depth conversations with like-minded people or even people who are, you know, much smarter than me. And that was it having a podcast where we can have these types of discussions and then I get to share the discussion out with other people. Exactly. So that that was our commercial, dear listeners, for you yourself to get a, a podcast if you, <laughs> if you want one. It's a lot of work, right? To do it well, there are a lot of steps in production, but I think it's a great example of a beacon. It is, but I think the point is to find your own beacon, find what works for you that you're going to be able to continuously do no matter what. Because, you know, as as it relates to podcasts, it's not easy. Most anyone can do it, but I don't think everyone would love it enough to continuously do it. And one of the things that I talk to people when I'm kind of coaching them or teaching them about podcasting specifically is get to the point where if you thought to yourself, only one person out there is listening to my podcast, would you still do it? And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then keep doing it. Keep investing in that because that means that you love doing that. So I think the point is to find the beacon that's right for you. Find the beacon that gives you energy. Find the beacon that makes it a lot easier for you to operationalize from. Exactly. All right. So we've talked about community building, collaboration, partnership, and I think you and I are on the same team here. I think you and I are on the team of being uh, superhero nerds and geeks. So 100%. Yes. So talk to me about superhero stories, superhero movies, and how they show us how we can build, grow, and tap into our communities. For me, so much goes back to 
the early days. I'm 55 now, so I was born in the the mid 60s, 1966. So I remember we went through a period of time at home where we didn't have a TV. We would just read books. So my early introduction to more the hero's journey kind of uh, narrative that we see now with the superhero movies was in books and, you know, in legends and lore and adventure. I would eat up any kind of book around that when I do my weekly library visits. So I will never forget when I saw the very first Star Wars movie that was 1977, the Cordillera movie theater when it first came out. It absolutely blew my mind because I felt like it connected with this joy that I had of reading about adventure and possibility and everything as a little girl and just seeing it visualized on the screen was so powerful. And I find what's so interesting over time is that it is also something that can connect with people that come from radically different backgrounds. My best friend gave me an R2-D2 purse once for my birthday. She, for the record, has never seen a Star Wars movie in her life. So like we, she has no idea why I'm so passionate, but she knows I love it. So I have this cutest ever R2-D2 purse. And I will tell you, everybody from three-year-olds to 70-year-olds across every kind of, you know, ethnicity, background, cultural background will stop me and say, oh my God, that's such a cool purse. And it's an example of something, I think, when you can begin to connect to people who have this this shared joy of going on a quest, having adventure, having challenge. Interestingly, given our conversation, in a lot of the storylines that you see for those superhero movies is really very much related to the hero's journey, right? Of like running into that wall of like, I, I forget the actual step that it's called within that method that you see in a lot of movies, but maybe the, the dark night closing in or something like that, right? Yeah. Where like you're backed into that corner. That was Carly's story, right? That moment where she was just felt like it was never going to be better. And then all of a sudden you have this mentor who can come in, right? In, in the case of me, it was me. <laughs> she let go. me in, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's Yoda. Sometimes it's, right, somebody else. You call upon your fellow superheroes. Uh, I use the example a lot for the ecosystem of, as a way to think about how could you really visualize what an ecosystem would be for your audience? And I thought about the Justice League, probably just, you know, I saw a visual one day, which would be if you had 30 minutes to save the earth, like in the particular area in which you do business. So maybe for you on branding, right? Your clients had to solve their branding issues in 30 minutes or less, you would, or the world would end, you would be calling your personal Justice League of the very best just amazing experts in that area in order to solve that problem. And I just think it is something that brings humor, it brings hope, it brings emotion, it brings really like the human journey and story into what we're doing in business. And business is a full color, full contact sport. Like it is not a transactional thing. We are human beings and it's really an exciting journey. So I I love everything about that. Uh, well, yeah, and when we see some of the most successful stories around superheroes or even Star Wars, a lot of the times it's the fact that it's not just one hero that's doing it, or even the fact that it's not just a group of heroes that are all exactly the same. You know, in Star Wars, you didn't have four Luke Skywalkers all working together. You know, you had a whole group, you had an ensemble. And each person 
came to the story with different skills, different perspectives, and different things that made them complementary to each other. And that all helped the team to be able to succeed and even to sometimes even grow as a team too. Exactly. So I love it. I, I love being able to look at pop culture and how we can learn and apply lessons from there. So speaking of pop culture, last question I've got for you. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for the widest net, what songs would you include? What I have on my widest net soundtrack are, so I'm choosing five of a bigger list. The first one is If You're Out There by John Legend. Oh, yeah. Lean On Me by Bill Withers. (laughs) Got to Get You Into My Life by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Good Job by Alicia Keys. Oh, yeah. And Taking It to the Streets by the Doobie Brothers (laughs) with James Taylor version. Oh, very nice. Very cool. Yeah. All very helpful. Love that. Well, Pam, where can people go to learn more from you? You can go to PamelaSlim.com. PamelaSlim.com. Excellent. I've learned a lot from you today. I know there's a lot more that people can learn. So thank you for sharing that. And I think it's lunchtime for me now. So I think I'm going to go make myself a yummy PB&J. <laughs> you go do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so Pam, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Pamela Slim. So go and learn more from her at PamelaSlim.com. You're going to find lots of resources and lessons to help you learn how to grow your business with the help of your network and your relationships. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Daryl Amy. Daryl's the author of the best-selling book, Revenue Growth Engine, How to Align Sales and Marketing to Drive and Accelerate Growth. He's the host of the Revenue Growth Podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network and the co-host of the Selling from the Heart Podcast. And he's a member of the Forbes Business Council and a C-Suite advisor. Daryl and I discuss his lessons around aligning your sales and marketing teams, growing your revenue aggressively yet realistically, and the number one way to differentiate yourself among your competitors. Spoiler alert, it's all in the experience you deliver. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Daryl's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.